Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, Gareth Zatlin. How's it going, man? Ben, it's been a pretty good weekend, man. I, I can't complain. You've got you know an awesome uh, round of conference meet action, which, by the way, I, I thought we did pretty well in, especially in terms of how we thought some of these races were going to play out. I, I you know pat ourselves on the back a little bit. I thought we did a pretty pretty solid job. <laughs> um, but also on top of that, the Steelers seven and zero beating the Ravens, also an excellent uh, way to kind of finish up the weekend. And not only that, Ben, we're at 99 reviews, man. This has been a, a pretty good weekend. Yeah, I, I jumped on uh, Apple Podcasts to check right before we uh, started recording. And we got, like, I think three or four new ratings. We got three new reviews. Um, we got On Point, uh, great podcast and number one podcast as subject lines. Um, we did get one review that suggested that once we hit 100 reviews, that I should run a marathon while you drive alongside and do a, I guess, question and answer. That was what I was wondering. Sounds terrible. Like that is a <laughs> awful idea. Like I appreciate the creativity and the idea, like, please keep sending those in, but that is awful. I do not want to do that at all. Well, that sounded great for me. I was more than happy to do that. I didn't mind driving <laughs> I didn't mind driving and answering questions at all. I mean, the, the real burden of this is on you. What I appreciate about our listeners is that they recognize how out of shape I am and they're making you do the work. And I appreciate <laughs> them. It's very considerate of them. But they also have to realize that I am a miler and an 800 meter runner at heart. I do run cross country and I am like in decent cross shape, but also no to the marathon. No, I have no interest I just, my long runs are 12, 13 miles, which is a lot lower than most cross country runners. And to do a marathon is not something that I am particularly interested in doing at this point in my life. So I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Send, keep sending in suggestions though. We're, we're obviously one away. We're recording this on Sunday. Um, so we very well might be, by the time you're listening to this, we might have a hundred. So super close to 100 reviews. Um, I'm not sure really what we're going to do yet. I do have a couple of ideas in mind, um, but we'll see what happens. Um, still trying to figure a few things out. But thank you to everyone who has given us a rate and review. It's huge. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll play out a few things. Maybe we won't make Ben run a marathon, um, but you know, we'll, we'll figure something out. So uh, Ben, uh, that's all I got on my end. I, I think it's time to hop into the ACC, man. Yeah, we got plenty to talk about from the, the big conference meet. So we'll start with the ACC. Uh, on the men's side, Notre Dame had a pretty convincing victory. NC State was second. Wake Forest with a surprise third. Virginia fourth and Duke fifth. Just edging out Syracuse in sixth. We had picked the field to beat Notre Dame with Notre Dame having to add five and a half points to their score. They ended up winning by 14, so we both lost that bet. Uh, but we did both pick Notre Dame outright, and that was proven correct. I think the most impressive thing from Notre Dame was, one, you had Yared Nagush just put together in a very, very impressive performance to to lead and to, to take home the win. But then you had guys like Dylan Jacobs and Danny Kilray run exactly how we kind of expected them to. And then you throw in like youngsters with Josh Methner um, and Jake Renfrey. And this Notre Dame team looks like 
a complete team that is super ready for winter cross country if we uh, get to that point. First off, Nagus ran one of the most impressive individual races of the entire weekend, maybe of the entire season. I mean, mm-hmm. what he did, he fended off a hard charge from Velasco of Wake Forest. He fended off a hard charge from Shanklin at the end of the race uh, from NC State. He led pretty much from start to finish. He was really impressive. It was one of the best individual performances that I have seen. Um, and not only that, but you know, as you mentioned, to have your youngsters back you up in those fourth and fifth uh, scoring spots, it's really impressive. You know, we knew that this team had a lot of young, impressive talent. We knew that we, well, we, we figured we might as well see them, especially this season, if they're going to keep their eligibility. So for Methner to come in there at 11th, Renfrey at 18th, I mean, this is pretty much the, the future of Notre Dame. I mean, this is about as good as we expected them to be. And, you know, it's, it's actually scary to think about now this team gets basically another year of eligibility. I think they really only lose Salvano, despite what, you know, the senior status is here. Um, so if they all get eligibility next year, which it looks like they will, um, this Notre Dame team is going to be a serious problem. They ran very, very well. Yeah, the longer Nagus is in the NCAA, like it's just gonna, he could just destroy some people. Like the, what we saw at the end of indoor season last year, and then where he's picked up in cross country, he has. I mean, we we've talked about this probably the best range of any of any uh, NCAA runner right now um, between what he can do in the mile and the three k, and then come out in the cross country and dominate like this. Super, super impressive. Um, so we, we both picked Syracuse to finish second and we saw them struggle pretty, uh, pretty mightily in this race. JP Trojan had an off day. We did see some good things from Joe Dragon. Um, and I, I thought some of the rest of the lineup was solid. Matthew Scrape 21. Did we just overestimate Syracuse coming in, uh, based off the, the few performances we had seen from them or was this just a pretty off day? Um, I think a little bit of both, but if you had to, you know, make me choose, I'd say this was just an off day, right? I mean, if you really take a look at that top three, it's not like they were horrendous by any means. I mean, you know, Nathan Henderson was ninth at the ACC championships last year. JP Trojan, I mean, was very clearly just as good as Joe Dragon. So when you start factoring those guys in, all of a sudden you're like, ah, this team probably could have scared maybe you know, maybe Virginia in fourth place or third place. So yeah, maybe we over, you know, overestimated them a little bit in terms of that second place prediction, but the guys just didn't run nearly as well. The the potential that Aiden Tucker could have come back and run, which he didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough when really two of your, you know, three guys that you're expecting to be at the front of this race just don't perform well. And that's, like, I, I don't care how deep you are as a team. That there's not really a whole hunt you can do there if you're Syracuse to come back and really secure a great finish. I think it was just a bad day. I, I still believe in JP Trojan. I I do now have to question really how great is he in, in some of these larger races because back at William and Mary, um, he was really just a guy that really thrived in, in smaller meets, but we'll, we'll kind of see what happens there. So uh, yeah, I just think just a tough day for Syracuse. Uh, maybe we were a little too edgy with that second place pick, but yeah. I just think it was, it was a tough day. Yeah, and then we had NC State. We both picked them to finish third. They ended up finishing second. I don't think a whole lot to say from NC State. This is kind of what we we kind of were hoping to see out of them. I think certainly at the beginning of the season, they just had a really solid top five, uh, top four, um, and then uh, their fifth place finisher. Who was that? Um, 
uh, Hans Berger, who put together a really solid oh, performance to finish seventh. Han, Hannes. Hannes, right. yes. Uh, Hannes Berger, who finished really, really well to, uh, to give them a solid fifth spot. You had guys like Shanklin um, take the lead, and, and I think this was what I expected to see out of Shanklin um, at the beginning of the season, just a true low stick, challenging to goose, like you said, they're right at the end. Um, someone who in an NCAA race is certainly going to be a top 20 guy in my opinion. Um, and then with what JP Flavin, Gavin Gaynor running well, Joe Bistritz continuing to have a really, really good season. I, I, I just, I don't think there's a whole lot to say other than NC state performed about as well as we could have expected them to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and frankly, I actually think this gap could have been cut down to less than 10 points. I think Flavin's probably closer to Bistritz and mm-hmm. Shanklin than he is uh, Gaynor and uh, Berger. So uh, overall pretty strong, but this is kind of what we have been saying, you know, like they're not a bad team. We know they have depth, or at least I've kind of been saying that I know they have depth. Um, but this is, this is kind of what we've been saying. Like they, they're up and down. They've been inconsistent for the past three years now. Uh, at least on the cross-country course. But when they're at their best and when they put together their complete top five, this is the result that we're expecting. And sure enough, 54 points, 14 points off of a Notre Dame team that ran very, very well. we got to give credit to the Wolfpack. Um, Really, like I said, I think we said this in the uh, podcast, we said this in the preview, but the larger fields, you know, NC State was going to thrive in this field because of just the way their lineup was structured. Yeah, I mean, I do worry NC State, their sixth and seventh guys were way back, scoring 34 and 64 points. Um, And I think that's a little bit of the concern for me looking forward with their depth. And I I think with one of those top five guys has an off day, they could struggle. But like you said, when they put it together, they are a dynamic force to be reckoned with. Um, We had Virginia finishing fourth. We were spot on with that. They were fourth. And then we had, you had Florida State finishing fifth. I had Wake Forest finishing fifth. Wake Forest ended up, uh, uh, excuse me, ended up finishing third while Duke was fifth in the race. Your beloved Duke Blue Devils, you went away from them and they delivered right when you did not pick them. Just a terrible, terrible scene for you. This feels like the Drake curse um, (laughs) of like, you know, pretty much, Every team, not every team, but Duke kind of had that, that oh, Garrett's with us. We're just not going to perform well. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I hop off of them. And then I think the the Garrett curse went to Florida State. And then they dropped to ninth, which was awful. Well, not it wasn't it wasn't great. Let me just put it that way. It wasn't great. Mm-hmm. It wasn't awful, but not great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that they ran well. I also look at their lineup, and I'm like, this is about what we expected. You know, like it's yeah. nothing super flashy. Decent run for Ambrosio, a few, you know, solid runners after that, but like they didn't have like a major gap or they didn't have like, you know, it was actually like really even. If you look like between all their scorers, like between their first and second scorers, it was like six places. Between the next one, it was like three team points. Between the next one, it was like 17 points. Between the next one, it was 17 points. Like they were the definition of just consistent team running. And I guess in these large fields, kind of as we had, you know, initially expected, um, they, you know, it, it came together for them and, you know, came together with a fifth place, uh, fifth place finish. So. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you on Duke. They they were super consistent across the board. I, I no real low stick, but just a consistent performance with in a big meet like this, they were able to uh, keep a solid spread. The team that I think was the biggest surprise for us was Wake Forest. They put together an amazing performance. I was really high on them to put them five uh, in the predictions, but for them to finish third, just a, a incredible performance. Carter Coughlin has been a low stick for them all year and was fantastic. And I think the crazy part about their performance is Jack Tiernan's been kind of up there with Carter Coughlin for most of the year, and he was 31st. So they really could have been even better. Uh, they pro- they would not have caught NC State, but they could have been even better on this day. Uh, you mentioned uh, Jonathan Velasco challenging for the lead at one point before ending up uh, 12th. But, I mean, there's just so much to like about this young Wake Forest team. And then you throw in Zach Faccioni, uh when he returns next semester. And this is a team that, I mean, not only could qualify for nationals, but really could be more like a top 20 kind of threat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head there. If, you, if you're going to have Alaska is running as well as he did, Coughlin was running as well as he did, Tiernan. I mean, it's it's crazy to think that Tiernan was their fifth scorer. I yeah. mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, and then you added Faccioni. I mean, this is a team that could really scare a few squads. I mean, they are they've got all the pieces to do the right things. Um, I think we thought that they would be pretty good this year. I don't think we expected them to be this good, much less without their top runner. Um, so this is some pretty impressive stuff. Um, you you got to give a lot of kudos over there to to Hayes and to Ferris, uh, the coaching staff at Wake Forest, for what they've done. It's taken a little bit. It's taken a few years, but that men's program is coming along very nicely. It's, it's really impressive stuff, actually. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Do you have anything on the men before we uh, wrap up with the ACC and look at the women's side? Well, I, I just think we got to give you know a little bit of a discussion piece here on Virginia, just yeah. because I look at Virginia and fourth place finish, and I think everyone, you know, be like, oh, you know, what happened? They were undefeated. They beat NC State earlier in the season, but this is pretty much like what I mean, we both had Virginia in fourth, mm-hmm. right? And I think that just says something to youth and inexperience at championship meets. Usually, Wes Porter was that second runner. Usually, they had you know, another guy like Kevin Hassell or Justin Deal or a few other guys. Um, or Kellen Hissell, excuse me, uh, and, and a few other names that were in that top five throughout the year, but their top three runners were all veterans. They were all older runners. And then West Porter's their fourth score. They got you know, their fifth and sixth runners were you know further back in the results. I think it just goes to show that as exciting as freshmen are and as, as you know amazing as they can be, sometimes you just need experience. And sometimes these bigger races can, can come at you and, and surprise you a little bit. So West Porter still ran pretty well, twenty third or twenty yeah twenty third place mm-hmm. overall. Um, but yeah, I I just think Virginia was you know not a bad race and a great season from them, but uh, wasn't really too surprising in my mind. No, I mean through three or four runners, they were very solid. I think Rohan Asfa really solidified his season with this fourth place finish. That he's really made a big improvement this year, finishing behind only Nagoose, Shanklin, and Jacobs is super strong um and then really i mean they were only six points back of wake forest uh they weren't close to nc state but i mean you you have a slightly better performance from your fifth runner and their third and it really isn't that big of a surprise like we said so yeah i I think it's a good good point it's good to uh mention them but i I think they have a lot of building blocks for the future 
Um, and I think this experience will, will help them a lot, especially if we have a, a national championship in the winter. Um, so why don't we move on to the women's side? NC State took home the win quite easily, winning by 52 points. Uh, you picked the field with the uh, 14 and a half points that you're getting. Uh, that ended up not I did not win being great. I picked NC State and felt really good about that. Uh, we saw Georgia Tech uh, finish second, FSU was third, Duke was fourth, and North Carolina women were fifth. Um, our predictions were a little all over the place. Uh, we had both of us had Notre Dame in our top three. And Notre Dame women struggled a lot, but we were pretty much right on the nose with Georgia Tech and FSU being somewhere in that top three or four. Uh, and then you had Syracuse fifth, and I had UNC fifth. Um, so that was a win for me, which, as we'll go on the rest of the podcast, I'm going to take all the wins that I can get. Uh, <laughs> and Dominique Claremont, I think, was the star of the show, just continuing her just I mean, she was always a good runner, and I think we've talked about this a lot, but she has just ascended to an elite top low stick to dominate the way she did, winning by 11 seconds over Amanda Vestry and beating her teammate Hannah Steelman by 22 seconds. I, I am just continually impressed by her, and I think when we see NC State at full strength with uh, Shamil running again, a, a better running better um, than she has been, and kind of showing the form that we know that she can run Caitlin Tui and Marla uh, Starlipper back in the mix. I think the Claremont's improvement really could make a huge, huge difference when they're going up against someone like Stanford. Yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of have to defend myself here in terms of what <laughs> I was thinking when I said under 14 and a half points and just when, just for clarity for everyone listening, when Ben says that the field won, he's just talking about the point spreads yeah. that, you know, we're talking right. about here. We, we know that Notre Dame was the winner. We know that NC state women were the winner. Um, but yeah, and just the way I saw it, I thought, okay, no Starlipper, no Tui. Um, they didn't run, they hadn't run like a, a few women during the season. Like I don't think Zachko ran, I think, you know, maybe one or two others only ran in one meet. I was like, ah, I don't, I don't know. There's maybe could be a few runners missing. You know, uh, Kelsey Schmiel hadn't, didn't look great at the Wolfpack Invitational. Um, she truthfully, I think could have run better at the yeah. ACC championships. And I just felt, I'm like, ah, I just, just think there's a little bit too much. It's easy to look at this team as, you know, a little bit of a hype there. And then they just gave me the middle finger and <laughs> continued to just dominate this field. I, I knew they would win. And I think I was just being overly cautious, um, but to win by what over 50 points. I mean, that's just uh, absurd stuff without two women who were probably some of the better high schoolers of the past decades is, you know, two, maybe is the best high schooler ever. So to win without that group have Claremont run as well as she did, you lose Ellie Hennis from last year. It is really incredible. You know, if they had won by 20 points, I think we'd shrug our shoulders and say, okay, yeah, that, that sure. That makes sense. But to, to win by 52 points is some wild stuff. And I think that's a big reflection of the teams behind them. Two through six was separated by 17 points. Um, and only like when you look at the total time, Georgia's heck in second was only 25 seconds or no, excuse me, 15 seconds ahead on total time compared to Notre Dame, who was sixth. So like you're talking about such a small spread in be, like these all these teams just fighting it out for the like two through three uh spots and nc state was just obviously a clear cut above 
Georgia Tech, I, I think we should talk about just continuing to having a really solid season um, to finish second. Florida State has been frustrating, I think, for us. Uh, we really thought that this was a team that was going to be a top 10 kind of caliber team nationally. They did finish third, looked a little better at ACC's, but I think there's so much more left in the tank for the Seminoles team. Yeah, I mean, we can continue to talk about Georgia Tech. They ran well. They just kind of is what it is. Their experience and the way that their lineup structure, you know, with a low stick and good depth, I mean, nine out of 10 times, that's going to give you a great finish like it did for them. So props to Georgia Tech, but that that just kind of, they just kind of are what they are. Um, as for Florida State, yeah, I'm with you. They're, they're frustrating, but it's it's frustrating because they're not running poorly because it would be misleading to say, oh, they're run, they had a right you know, they, they were bad. It was just not the case. They have posted a few decent, respectable, solid performances, but it's nowhere near where we thought they were going to be. Heck, it, it's not even anywhere near where they were last year, where they were, you know, 12th in the country at the NCAA championships. It's just not near that same caliber. Um, and now admittedly, they don't have Lauren Ryan. And if Lauren Ryan, who was the sixth place finisher at the ACC championships last year, if she comes in and replicates a performance anywhere close to that, then you're talking about Florida State jumping Georgia Tech, and all of a sudden we have a little bit of a different narrative here. So I'm willing to kind of hit the brakes on any criticism for Florida State for right now. I think they'll come back better in the winter if we have a winter cross-country season. Just really tricky to figure out because you look at this team on paper and you think, oh, yeah, they'll just just do what they did last year. And outside of Coggins, it really hasn't been anything super exciting. Yeah, I agree. Duke was fourth, and I think this was a really impressive finish for them, just narrowly edging North Carolina and Notre Dame. Um, we we saw um, Sasha Naglia of North Carolina, the freshman, finish sixth um, in her first ACC championships, and I think we saw a lot of the younger runners from North Carolina actually perform pretty well. Uh, Kelsey Harrington was 19th. Uh, so the inexperience that we were maybe a little worried about uh, from their perspective turned out to not be too big of an issue. And, and for Duke, that having Michaela Reinhardt be that real strong low stick finishing fourth, just a, a strong, strong performance from a Duke team that I feel like has just gotten better as the season. Yeah, they had a really nice uh, front-running duo there. Michaela Reinhardt, huge race for her. I think we kind of always knew that she was this kind of top ACC talent. She was a true front-runner. But for her to actually finish fourth, um, really encouraging. I mean, two seconds behind Anna Steelman, that, that can't be overlooked. I mean, she ran really well. She had a great, great season. But this was the first time where I went, oh, okay, this is what her true potential is like. Um, and then to have Samantha Shadler in 10th, that was a nice surprise. And I think you get Coach Ronda Riley out there a quick shout out for what she's done. I mean, it has taken a few years to kind of get this team to this level, but they ran very well, finished fourth overall, five points behind a Florida State team that we had ranked very highly. I think you got to get the Blue Devil, uh, Duke Blue Devils um, some credit here, both on the men's and women's side. I, I struggle to really find a true flaw with them. I mean, maybe their fifth runner could have been a lot better. There was a 20... Uh, 20 point team scoring gap there and uh, for the women's side. But other than that, they ran well and uh, yeah, you got to give them some credit. Notre Dame was a, l a little bit off. Maddie Denner did end up running, but just, I mean, had a good race, I think, but not maybe as strong as what we could have expected from her. Um, she finished 17th. They tied with North Carolina, ended up losing the tiebreaker 
I don't really have too much else on the women's side. Is there anything that you want to hit before we move on to the SEC? Syracuse finished eighth. Uh, they will be better. They didn't run a lot of their top women this year. Watch out for Syracuse down in the future. Don't let this result be uh, mislead you. So, All right. Well, with, with that warning, we will move on <laughs> to the SEC. Uh, starting with the men, we saw Arkansas just dominate when they won by 24 points. Um, I had them, again, with 17.5 point cushion. Uh, Garrett had Ole Miss with that 17.5 points. So if we're, we're, we were saying that that Arkansas was going to win by less than 17 points or less than 18 points. And that was what Garrett's bet was. And Arkansas with just a dominant victory, which is crazy because Ole Miss went one, two, three. Mario Garcia Romo, Cole Bullock, Walid Suleiman, one, two, three. But Arkansas responded, finishing fifth through ninth for their top five. An insane display of depth from Arkansas, an insane display of low sticks from Ole Miss. And if Ole Miss can just figure out this 4-5 and get it just a little bit better, this front trio has been as impressive as any front trio other than an NAU or BYU team that I have seen in like the last year or two. And if they can just build that back, and we've talked about this, but this really cements that their trio going one through three, beating Amon Kemboy and Emmanuel Chabos and all those guys at Arkansas, I think just really shows the talent that they have in that front trio and the potential that the rebels have in the future with a, be- a slightly better fourth and fifth runner. You know, I was, I, I actually watched this race and they made a move late in the race mm-hmm. and it became very clear that they were going to sweep the, like go one, two, three, and before they even crossed the line, I just thought, oh, this is going to be so sad. They're going to lose this race and go one, two, three. They're going to sweep the top three spots. I felt bad before they even finished. Like they were, you know, elated and they were so happy they won, you know, as as rightfully as they should. You know, going one, two, three is a big deal at any conference meet. But to, to not just lose and then to lose by 24 points, I mean, I, I it is just, that has to be, a little frustrating. Now, in, in fairness to Ole Miss, Michael Cochia did not have a great day. And I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Did not have a great day. Usually their uh, their fourth runner. If he runs as well as he does, he probably chops that that scoring in half. Kate Bethman, I guess, struggled a little bit with injuries this year. Maybe he just wasn't at 100% clearly. Um, if he was, then I think he hops into that top five. And now the score is all of a sudden a lot closer than we expect. But yeah, the depth, the when you finish five, six, seven, eight, nine, if you're Arkansas, yeah, I there's not not really anything more you can do with with Old Miss here. Um, Old Miss didn't have some of their guys at their best, um, and I just think that obviously showed in the results. Um, I, I'm going to counter you here, though. I'm not sure what this end result says more about Arkansas or says more about Old Miss. Like, does this mean that, like for for Old Miss? Okay, that top three is great, but really they haven't compared it to a whole lot of other teams other than Arkansas and vice versa with Arkansas overall miss. So like it's I, I still struggle to get a gauge of just how good each team is relative to the rest of the NCAA. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about having a hard time gauging them. I just think when you have like pretty solidified guys like Amon Kemboy, 
uh, and will lead Suleiman, who we've seen perform really well at Nationals. Obviously, we don't know what their fitness compares to years past, but I, I think we have a good idea that these are kind of top 40 runners at the very worst. Uh, in Kemboy's case, he's a top five guy, I think, at his best. So I, I, I think that this says a lot about Ole Miss. I, I think it's a very good performance from Arkansas, but I don't think it really tells us much more than maybe we already knew that they're a very deep team that could compete with for a podium spot, no problem. But I also think this race shows us that Ole Miss's ceiling is a lot higher than maybe we thought it was before, that they could be a top eight team maybe if they figure everything out. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think anyone was expecting these low sticks, right? I mean, it's just... Right, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think opposite-wise, I think we thought that they probably had enough depth, but I don't think we saw Mario Garcia-Romo or Cole Bullock running, I mean, what, 1-2 of the SEC championships. Yeah. It's crazy to think that Waleed Suleiman looks like the third best runner on this team. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. No no one would have expected that at the beginning of the no. year. Um, so we, we both picked Arkansas to win Ole Miss to finish second. You had Tennessee third. I had Kentucky third. Uh, it ended up being Georgia third. And and in the sec preview that I wrote, I, after I wrote that after we did the pod and I realized, yeah, I think it's going to be actually going to be Georgia. Oh, very easy to say, Ben. I I wish I had changed my mind. Hey, you can read it. The preview. I, I kind of, (laughs) I kind of, kind of was like shading towards that. Uh, Tennessee did end up finishing fourth. And I, I think Kentucky was fifth. It was a very close race. 12 points separated Georgia and Kentucky third through fifth. And Missouri was like only about 20 points back in sixth. Um, I think just really good performances from uh, Sam Bowers and Carl Thiessen, uh of Georgia and Tennessee, respectively. Chase uh, Condra was 12th for Georgia as well. Uh, I think this Georgia team is way better than what we expect coming to this year. They dominated Florida State earlier in the year. We weren't really sure what to make of that, but to barely edge Tennessee by two points um, and really show that they have two or three guys that are going to be really solid uh, competitors and low sticks for them, I think is a great sign for them moving forward. Yeah, I mean, this was... I mean, it's funny because we had Georgia, Tennessee, and Kentucky. We are we were all like, "Oh, this is going to be the battle for third place." And sure mm-hmm. enough, it was those exact same you know three teams battling for third place, separated only by twelve spots. We they we you know they pretty much have the same lineup structures. Like Georgia was yeah. just a little bit better in, through the first three scores, and that was about it. Kentucky was you know a little further back in the first two scores, and then they were you know, a little better than Georgia in the third scoring spot, a little better than Georgia in the fourth scoring spot. And then they dropped off a little bit in the in the fifth scoring spot. But yeah, I mean, this was kind of like what we expected. And, you know, this is, this is like another one of those weird things where it's like, I say that the freshmen, you know, I, I don't trust freshmen on championship stages. And that I was partially right, partially wrong with Kentucky because four or five Kentucky's scores were freshmen, which is wild to think about. But also at the same time, you have to wonder, it's like, okay, but then they finished fifth. Like, you know, it's it's a tough, tough balance to play there. But yeah, I, I just think it was like a very kind of like shrug your shoulders, take your pick. I think if you run this race 10 times, you're going to get probably, you know, the probably the three or six different variants, you know, whatever the number is um, of combinations between these teams. So 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was a tough race to figure out, but Georgia ran very well. And I think it shows that their win at the beginning of the season was just, uh, excuse me, it wasn't just a fluke. Yeah, 100%. Uh, why don't we move on to the women's side? We both picked Arkansas to take home the win, and they did by 16 points. We 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 had set the line at 22 and a half points for the vi- margin of victory. Uh, so we both were wrong on that. We thought they would exceed 22 points uh, for the win. They ended up only winning by 16, and that was because your pick to finish second, Alabama, just looked really, really strong. They finished second quite easily. Um, Mercy Chalangot looked really good in the victory, uh, but you had Esther Gidehai and uh, Jamie Reed, who both ran really solid races to finish in the top six uh and they really had the best top trio of anyone in in the conference um like much better than arkansas through three which is pretty crazy um arkansas's depth obviously carried the day but like you had mentioned on the podcast and i was a little skeptical that they were going to show up this well um but like you mentioned alabama has that weapon has the weapons up front to really just keep the margin close with Arkansas and they very much did that. Yeah. It's funny. I saw a tweet that was something along the lines of like, and I'm paraphrasing here. It's like, wow, Alabama finishing second. Who would have thought that? And I'm like me, I thought that (laughs) I'm like, I I did call that. Um, And I also called Ole Miss correctly in third. Um, So yeah, I got that perfect out three, but yeah, I mean, Alabama has been a team that we have been saying from the very beginning, like back in like June, I think, or July, where we've been saying, Hey, if they like, if they like find a fourth or fifth score, at least find someone who's good enough to close out their scoring five, they're going to be a problem. And sure enough, that's been the case. Esther Katahi, um, Mercy Chalanga, of course, Jamie Reed has been huge for this team in terms of that low stick scoring potency. This team has been really impressive. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, this is kind of what we've been saying all year. Like this is a, there's a reason why, you know, we talked about them at the beginning of the season, why they were just on a just missed, um, portion of our rankings. They have the pieces and, and they showed that this past, uh, Friday, um, I also now kind of have to figure out again, how does this team stack up relative to Arkansas and how does Arkansas stack up relative to the rest of the NCAA? Because this team, they're ranked number one in the coaches poll. I think is, did I read that correctly? Like I, I, I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking. Okay. That, yeah. Thank you. If you could look that up because I, I you know, that's not right. That <laughs> there's, there's like, it's not correct. Like, listen, I think Arkansas women are a top 10 team. I do, but I don't think they're national title contenders. I, like no. if, if you can only beat Alabama by 16 points, and kudos to Alabama, by the way, but it wasn't quite as dominant of a win as we thought. And that, that shows with the line that we chose. So, um, how are they? You're, you're right. They're number one. Like, and- it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not losing my mind here. It doesn't make any sense. NC State is four, and Stanford's five. I, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I, I, I get I it. I get it that we some, hey, sometimes our rankings aren't perfect. I totally get it. I don't, like, maybe it's recency bias, but I, I felt like it's pretty clear that they're not the top team. No, I, and I, that's what my big takeaway from this was, is that Arkansas is good, but they're not the podium contenders that maybe we thought they could be because they just don't have, I mean, Lauren Gregory could be that real true low stick, I think, when she's running really well. 
but I mean, I don't really trust Logan Morris, Abby Gray, Taylor Ewart, and Christy Gear to necessarily be top 40 runners. I think they could be, but I don't think that that's something you can bank on as an Arkansas team. And that's kind of, you need at least two or three of them to be that kind of type of runner if they want to be at least even in, in the conversation to be a podium runner or podium team when nationals comes around. Um, so I, I think you're right that it's hard to say what, how good this Alabama real, team really is because in a larger field um, and maybe in one that their low sticks aren't quite as high up as they are at SECs, uh, I think they could be pushed back pretty far. Um, and I think the same could be said about Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, and again, like it's not that Arkansas isn't bad. Like if they were ranked fifth or sixth, I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. Yes. That, that makes yep. sense. Like, you know, and this is why we, you know, do our own rankings, why we base our analysis off our own rankings, because we agree with our own rankings often more <laughs> shocker. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, could they evolve and develop into a team? Absolutely they could. But um, I just think that the SEC championships and for the record, I think I would like to have I like to think that we would have had that take prior to the SEC championships anyways. Um, So we'll, we'll see, but yeah, I mean, good race, not amazing, not as dominant. Um, We'll just see what happens whenever they do face, you know, competition that basically isn't in the SEC. Yeah. So I had Tennessee second and Alabama third. So I was just a little off. Tennessee ended up not racing due to uh, COVID. uh, I think positive COVID tests. Um, which is a shame because I, I don't think they would have been able to beat Alabama because Alabama ran extraordinarily well. But Ole Miss was third at 97 points. Kentucky was fourth at 98. I I thought Tennessee could have beaten both of those teams. I, I thought the, all three of those teams were super close uh, in terms of what they were going to do at SECs. So really disappointing to see uh, Tennessee not run well. I thought it was good to see Kentucky um, put in a solid performance. Jenna Gearing has been amazing for them all year and finished second. Um, and and I think uh, overall things played out about as we expected. We just would have liked to see Tennessee in that mix as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, it, that lineup structure, I mean, this field favored teams that had great low sticks. And mm-hmm. when you think about, Sydney Seymour and Katie Thronson. I mean, they were going to be a great one to punch in this field. And then if their depth just held up and did enough, they were, I'm, I'm with you. They probably would have ended up jumping Ole Miss. Um, but Hey, that's why you do the predictions. It's for me to be right. So, uh, you know, like, you know, overall, it's a shame that they didn't run though, because that would have been great to see yeah. how they ran, but you know, nonetheless, you, you just kind of roll with the punches. Absolutely. Well, why don't we move on to the big 12 championships this was probably the most exciting team race of them all on the men's side. Iowa State and Oklahoma State going down to the wire. Like, I think when you look at the results, it's like tenth of a second. Like, the, the margin uh, for some of these points that could have been taken one way or the other. Oklahoma State ended up winning via tiebreaker. Both teams had 31 points. Um, and we talked about this a little bit uh, in our group chat about what tiebreakers we like. The tiebreaker that is used is scoring um, the five runners. Uh, who wins that if you go one versus one, two versus two, three versus three, and, and so on and so forth. And Oklahoma State ended up winning that way. 
But if you look at the sixth runner and that tiebreaker has been used before, then Iowa State would have won quite easily. Uh, either way, fantastic race. It was kind of exactly what we had talked about happening. Iowa State bounced back in a big way after losing significantly to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State wasn't on their home course anymore. Still ran really well, but Iowa State just improved significantly and really could have had this title if one thing had gone differently. I hate the tiebreaker for I, I just hate this top five comparison tiebreaker. It makes no sense. I mean, sure, it makes sense in like the the literal thought process, but like sixth place or the sixth runner should always be the tiebreaker. That's how I grew up with it. I, I just feel like it makes the most sense. I, I don't like this top five stuff. Like it takes away the importance of what a sixth or seventh runner can do on a team. Um, like sure, you can talk about displacement all the time, but like Iowa State had the better total time. They had the better average time. Their sixth and seventh runners were ahead of Oklahoma State's sixth runner. Like I just think like on paper, Iowa State ran better. Like they had the individual champion. They had two guys in the top three. Like, it, like this is not against Oklahoma State at all. Again, I'm happy because they won, like me for the predictions. But it's just a little, a little, I, I can understand if Iowa State's frustrated right now. I don't blame them. Yeah, we both picked Iowa State with the spread of five and a half points. So obviously that that worked out. But you picked uh, uh, Oklahoma State straight up, whereas I picked the big upset is Iowa State. And I was feeling so good. And then just to lose out on that tiebreaker. And it's funny you mentioned. So we, we've talked about the tiebreaker and I'll, I'll cut it short after we're after I say this. But we as a stride report group are hardly ever unanimous in anything. Agreed. But you put in a poll about what tiebreaker should be used sixth runner or the scoring for the top five and i think every single person voted for sixth runner which i have never seen a poll in our slack ever ever be unanimous so i i think it's clear that we all believe that the sixth runner should be the tiebreaker and i think there's a lot of people that would agree with us maybe there's let us know if you disagree and maybe why um but i i agree with you that iowa state i think as a team looked better i talking about individual runners wesley kip too has just i mean 22 35 even if it's a short course to beat rodriguez by 14 seconds and rodriguez was second to or beat festus legat who was third by 37 seconds those two guys are on a different planet right now in terms of fitness compared to everyone else in the big 12 and festus legat finishing third was huge for a guy, I mean, this this guy has such good range and wasn't someone that we really talked about much coming into this year. And for him to finish third, he really gave Iowa State uh, the opportunity to take home the victory. Um, and, and I mean, the rest of their depth is incredible, but his third place finish was really the thing that gave them the opportunity. It's crazy that he has run 145 for 800 meters yeah. and then 2326 <laughs> For eight thousand meters, it might be short. I know, but yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty wild. It's so good. Um, a half two night of Texas ran uh, pretty well. Texas ended up finishing a distant third. We both predicted them in third. Um, no one else was super close. Kansas State was fourth. Um, I, I honestly, I, I don't think there's a whole lot else to say about it. I think Iowa State and Oklahoma State are both like top six, top seven teams in the country this year. Oklahoma State's way better than we expected them coming into the season. And I think Iowa State 
is right there with them. Uh, Kip too, or Banguria, um, as we, I think we have, we've seen him called in results previously is so, so good. And is going to replicate as close as he can to what Edwin Kurgot has given this team for the last few years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, is he a top three guy right now? I think he has to be right. I, I think so. you beating Rodriguez by that much is just so, so impressive. Like, yeah. I, I think he has to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough. Yeah. So on the women's side, though, we saw Iowa State take home the win, um, which is what we predicted. We both picked them against the six and a half point spread as well. They ended up winning by 23 points. Uh, Callie Logue took home the individual title. Taylor Rowe and Gabby Hentman of Oklahoma State running really well again, finishing second and third. But Oklahoma State ended up finishing fourth. We saw Texas in second and West Virginia in third, someone that we had thought might be able to sneak into that top three. Uh, you had to, you you almost called it perfect. You had Iowa State, Texas, and then Oklahoma State. Um, I had Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Texas third so win for you and the big 12 women um did you really see anything that surprised you i think west virginia was a team that we both kind of had our on our radar as a possible team to finish third oklahoma state again struggled even with their top two running really well uh texas i guess we we learned a little bit about them after not seeing them compete against many top teams what w- what was your big takeaway from this race my big takeaway was that there were no big takeaways um <laughs> like i mean iowa state's good um they're clearly better than last year um I, I still again don't really have a great gauge of where they're at just because they've only like they've really only faced big 12 competition for the most part um they've been solid they've been good they were clearly the best team in the big 12 this season um i think oklahoma state is obviously better when they have like I don't know what happened to Taylor Somers like it's just it's very odd to see what happened there like she is like make no mistake it's not like she is the 51st best Big 12 runner like she's just not she is truly one of the best runners out there just had had an off season um, maybe she's battling with an injury and I don't know uh, but wishing her the best of luck because she is super talented um, and she could make a dramatic impact on this team and then of course not having Molly Bourne. Um, so at this point you just shrug your shoulders. I know Oklahoma state's going to be better. You know, if you add a healthy Taylor Somers or, you know, whatever, uh, uh, Taylor Somers at hundred percent with Molly Bourne, and then you add her with Taylor Rowe and Gabby Hetman, this is a seriously good team. But other than that, I don't really have anything major to take away from this. Yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was, it played out pretty much how we expected Texas was second with 62 points and Oklahoma state was fourth with 71. So the, the gap there was super small um, that the two, three, four order could have been, could have gone really any, any way yeah. uh, depending on the day. So why don't we move on? So we also had two other conference meets. We had the conference USA and Sunbelt uh, on the conference USA side of the women uh, of MTSU took home a really impressive victory uh, going two, three, four, five. Uh, they only ran, I think, five women, and uh, still pulled out a very uh, staggering victory. Grace Forbes of Rice took home the individual victory by almost a minute, uh, and looks really, really good, picking up right where she left off last year. On the men's side, Charlotte just destroyed everyone. Uh, Thirty-one points. 
look they look incredible and i think this is probably the the big talking point for us uh out of this conference usa meet yeah um you know just fun fact uh, middle tennessee state women scored 31 points while the charlotte women finished second with 75 points uh, on the men's side, the Charlotte men finished with 31 <laughs> points and the MTSU uh, men finished with 74 points. Just want to throw that out there. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Charlotte is legit. We've been saying they're legit. There were, you know, rumors that they didn't even have their full squad at, I think, Louisville, the Louisville Classic earlier in the season. And sure enough, like Nicholas Scudder came out of nowhere, beat Paul Arandondo, his teammate, uh, to take the overall title. Like it is crazy to think like that whoa they all of a sudden have another low stick in addition to Arandondo. uh that, that's some pretty impressive stuff so watch out for charlotte um I, I i think they're probably like a fringe national qualifying team right now i mean they're pretty good um they're probably i think they're a lot better than maybe some people realize so uh, watch out for charlotte because if if they just keep building on what they've done this season then they could be a problem and Arandondo to bring it back to the sec meet beat the trio of Ole Miss runners like by six se- he beat Suleiman by six seconds so like we're talking about a stud in Arredondo and for Charlotte to have another guy in Scudder who beat Arredondo by 13 seconds they have a potent top two and the, the rest of their lineup is very solid as well they have some solid depth I I agree with you I think I would be shocked, honestly, at this point if they weren't either qualifying for nationals uh, this winter or at least very, very close if we were running a regional system. I I think they're one of the best teams in the Southeast uh, behind someone like NC State. Yeah, yeah, they've been strong. So we'll see. I mean, they were a a just-missed team in our rankings. Um, I think that was probably a pretty good call at the beginning of the season. But we'll see what happens. You know, again, a lot of these teams, it's just kind of, it's trying to get a gauge of how they are relative to the rest of the NCAA. We got a good glimpse. Still trying to get a gauge on some of these teams, but Charlotte, watch out for them. I I, I was wrong two or three years ago when this site just started, yeah. but now I'm finally getting caught up with them. And it looks like, a you know, we're, we're kind of getting closer to them being the top team that I think we, I think we think they can be. So. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, as for the Sun Belt, we saw uh, on the men's side, South Alabama beat out Appalachian State. And then on the women's side, Arkansas State narrowly edging Appalachian State for the victory. Uh, I, truthfully, I, not a whole lot to go off from these results. Um, no really true national contenders in any of these races. Um, but big, big victories for South Alabama and for Arkansas State in this weird, weird pandemic conference championship. Yeah, I mean, this was this is like a weird conference just because you yep. get so many of those top teams in the conference are generally pretty close to each other. I mean, you know, it's not like one team dramatically dominated in one way or the other. I mean, South Alabama won by, what, like 16, 16 points? Yeah, 16 yeah. points. I mean, something like that. So it's not like they, they won in any dramatic way. Like Arkansas State won by three points. Um, I think like we had known the the women's race was going to be tight. Probably, um, mm-hmm. if you look like South Alabama, they were probably the best team throughout the season, um, kind of as you enter this meet. So, uh, congrats to both of those teams. But yeah, I don't really have any major takeaways to to pull from this. So, well, yeah, congratulations to everyone who got to run a conference meet. I I sure would have loved for us to have the opportunity at Belmont to run in our conference championship. So. 
um kudos to the conferences for making this work and and for keeping everyone healthy through it all i, I think we are ecstatic that we were able to have this many races to preview and to recap and, and for us to have a conference championship week is uh, something that I don't think we really expected in the uh, middle of August this year. No, no. I mean, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I'm really happy we, we had this, you know, we now pretty much get an entire season to review for the month of November. Um, gosh knows we'll need the content, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is, this has been great. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy that we had it. In fact, I think it's allowed us to kind of get a better, you know, view of some of the teams that maybe typically wouldn't get a lot of attention. So I think that from a, you know, from a team exposure standpoint, this was, this was great for the NCAA and, and some of these teams that aren't always in the national picture. So kudos to everyone who ran. Um, it, it was a great season and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be talking more obviously about the season in the podcast to come and maybe we'll do a mailbag next week to hear what your guys' thoughts are, but we wanted to kind of get this one in to, to talk about our first reactions there there's certainly some stuff that we probably didn't get to um there's just a lot of race race action this week but thank you guys for sticking with us this whole year we'll uh like garrett said we'll be trying to figure out what we're going to be doing for this next month or so um and we'll try to let us know what you guys want to see uh and we'll try to contribute as much as we possibly can yeah so uh, other than that, leave a rating and review because that is uh, right now we're, we're one away at the time of recording this. So also, and if we do hit a hundred reviews, leave a re- rating and review anyways, we still need more. Yes. Like the, the hundred isn't the end all be all number. So, uh, but yeah, uh, let, leave us a rating and review. Um, and once we hit a hundred, I'll start thinking of uh, some ideas and hopefully by next episode, I'll, I'll have a few ideas and, and we'll be able to figure it out from that point. So. All right. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, until next time, Garrett, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you.